it's Kelly Havens. Grab your favorite mug, find a cozy spot to listen, or work quietly with your hands while I take you on a journey into the rolling hills of Ohio, our old home, and my world of homemaking, homesteading, and daily life with James and Thad. Through stories, dreams, and the Bible, let's seek the Good Shepherd together. I hope you'll find comfort in my companionship as I have found in yours. Good morning. I hope you've had a beautiful day so far and you're able to take a pause and hear some really deep thoughts. <laughs> um, naturally, big surprise. I can't wait to share some more lighthearted things. Um, this morning, it's Levi's day off, so he's going to pull me into the bathroom and we're going to talk about some wood samples he has to put down a floating floor under the clawfoot tub. Um, I know it sounds kind of random, but that is actually the next house project because when the boys take baths, they splash their water all over the floor and it goes down into the beams below where the library is. And so we can't do our fancy um, beams we're doing drop box beams in there and then a drop ceiling with like it'll be kind of like a shiplap ceiling um and then we'll have floor to ceiling bookshelves in there so the first step is to make that room so that it won't get damaged so we're putting this floating floor so i should have some old house things and maybe some short stories to share because we found an orchard the other day and had the most story-like experience <laughs> It's a little Amish homestead, and there was a border collie, and the dog was just running around with the boys, and the boys would bring the dog an apple, and then, you know, the dog would take it and run off, and then they'd chase him, and it was just with the clouds and the goldenrod and the corn stalks or the sheaves of corn, you know, they're like a pyramid in rows in the distance. Um... It was really, really beautiful, and so I've had some ideas for short stories that I want to share, but you know, it doesn't surprise me that God keeps wanting me to um, cover these bases first, um, these fundamental topics that are so central to my photos and um, the topics I write about on my Instagram. So today I am writing about, or I'm going to be, I've already written, but I'm going to be reading to you my thoughts on dreaming. <laughs> um, well, the title that I have here is Dreaming or Are We Living Awake? Um, sorry for all the ums, by the way. <laughs> I am just getting used to this. <laughs> this is so new to me. So a little bit of bravery here. Um, but I'm going to be talking about just living as a Christian in the modern world, really a Christian. You know, you are taking God's word for what it is. And there are two really big difficulties I find when we do this, um, when we really are a Christian. These are things that I know that the early church faced in Jerusalem, and as they began to spread into the regions beyond and establish churches, these are things that they would have struggled with immensely. So they are things that we should struggle with and things that we should be praying about and pondering. So I can't wait to tackle both. And I'm only going to do the second one today, but I'll start by telling you what they are. So the first one is that we must die to self. And this is a very, very different way of living in our culture because our culture doesn't, we don't have, you know, idols. We don't have false gods. We don't worship um, physical things other than God in the way that ancient cultures did. But we worship self. And even within being labeled as a Christian, we still live a life of pleasure trying to be happy um and we know that god created this world full of pleasures but the problem is is that we can't enjoy the pleasures that he made for us to enjoy if he is not our ultimate pleasure 
And that comes about when we truly die to self and we learn a life of love and self-sacrifice or self-giving. I was in bed last night just thinking of all of the brilliant fall beautiful scenes that we've just seen in the past few days and I was thinking about my challenges with the boys lately um and how much I've had to just put myself down and just give and give to their needs and I thought what a better time of year to die to self than in the fall when everything is dying and yet everything is just so beautiful It reminds me of the actual loveliness of this self-dying. It's really not an ugly thing at all. The world makes it seem like an ugly thing, but it couldn't be more glorious. We are dying to what is earthly and base and lowly in us so that he may live through us. It reminds me of the oak leaves that we found yesterday on our hike in the forest that still had the the stem attached. There's about like five or six leaves of different colors and different shapes. And there were some that were like a muted brown and some with like a slight tinge of red. And they were kind of faded and foggy. But when I held them up to a sunbeam that was coming into the forest, they were like a hot warm glow of golden brown and fiery orange. And that's what dying to self is like. We aren't gone, we're just cleansed out, and then the light can really shine through and bring out that color. So that is the first difficulty. In our culture that emphasizes self so much, um, self-confidence, relying on yourself, having a vision for yourself, where you're going, what who you're, what you're about, um, that is the first difficulty and so I want to go into that one more um you know how is it that we all have different personalities even though we're all becoming more like Christ but that isn't the topic that he's laid on my heart yet there is another difficulty and this one also connects with fall (laughs) and that is just how we take on this dreamy quality as Christians um have you all noticed just how dreamy fall is? You're walking and suddenly there is a leaf just twirling down and landing at your feet. Um, or in your little one's stroller, there are nuts and seeds everywhere just pouring down. Poor James actually got hit in the head when we were on our little swing in the backyard with a black walnut. <laughs> just came and whacked him on the head. It kind of felt very fairy tale. <laughs> just playing along and then wham. Um... He was perfectly fine, and it, uh, we we talked about <laughs> how it's just raining nuts <laughs> right now. Um, you can almost just feel the buzz of excitement of the birds and the squirrels as all of their food is just pouring down from heaven. <laughs> and because of the temperatures dipping in the evenings, there are these mists that settle into the valleys, and they just paint the whole landscape in a quiet fog. We need warmer clothes. We need to be held close by blankets and shawls. We need lights in our homes a little earlier than before. We get to see the glow from inside our homes as we step out at night. It's all so dreamy. And it just gets dreamier and dreamier as we get closer to Thanksgiving and the first snowfall. And it made me think a little bit about the criticism I get as an artist and one I know that many of you get simply by being women who love beauty. We are often called dreamers. We are told we are living a fiction or a make-believe, as if we are avoiding the ugly reality and walking around with our heads in the clouds. And I want to talk about how this isn't actually true. We who have our hearts open to the beauty of the seasons and the beauty of God's word are not dreaming. We're actually seeing. It's others who take the chaos and the suffering and the strain of this world, who are constantly steeped in the murmurs and sounds and noise of what is going on in the earth, are actually asleep and they are living in a fiction. And I don't mean this in a judgmental sense. I'm just trying to paint a picture for us of what's going on. As Christians, we are going to look like dreamers in the eyes of the world. Christians always have. 
We are wanderers and pilgrims here. We must be constantly looking above. In Colossians 3, we are told to set our mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. And in 1 Peter 1, we are told to set our hope fully on the grace that is given to us when Christ is revealed. We are dreamers because this is where we get our food. Just like our bodies must take in healthful, nutrient-dense, hopefully organic and seasonal homegrown foods as God meant them to be, our souls must derive their nourishment from an unseen source. We are trees attached to an invisible river, a rich and massive, magnificent lake that few can see, but that we see by faith. As we go deeper into that unseen lake, our trees become more and more nourished, and we take on more and more otherworldly qualities. And this is holiness. Holiness is otherworldliness. So did you guys know that the very reason that C.S. Lewis was so attracted to the fairy tales as a little boy was because there was a peculiar quality to them, a quality he later learned was actually holiness. It was being in touch with and deriving your soul's nourishment from a pure and beautiful unseen world. The problem is the modern church is okay with us dying to self and yet still getting our daily nourishment from what's going on in this world, from our projects in this world, from the fading beauty in this world, from even our children, fixing and focusing our thoughts on what is earthly is accepted as normal within the modern day church. This is how you get that, you know, all we talk about is the weather. (laughs) We aren't poets and painters, musicians and writers and preachers and dreamers anymore, but that is what the church was long ago. So when we really get earnest and seek God, we find ourselves in this uncomfortable position as if we're living caught between two realms. Like we're physically here, but spiritually we're somewhere else. And this isn't actually a problem. This is how it's meant to be. As we truly seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we look like dreamers. And as we ponder being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a, resur- for a salvation and a resurrection to be revealed in the last time, we start looking like the radiant oak leaves that I held up in that autumn sun. Our thoughts become pure, our voices even change, they become softer and sweeter with our children and our spouses. We linger longer wherever we go, we have more time, we are content to reject many of the habits the world takes on, like spending money on things that are factory made, because our hearts are changing. We're being rooted in another world and drawn to the ideas of um, living in such a way that brings us closer to the unseen world, like making things with our hands, like the Proverbs 31 woman did. And okay, I'm going to take a step back here real quick and just say why I think about, think all of this is so important. As we seek God, I think we need to be prepared for this clash that's going to happen. We need to realize that as we take God at his word, we're going to find ourselves in this clash with the world, not just because of salvation, um, of being freed from sin and knowing we are saved from God's wrath and having peace with God, but there's also just going to be this philosophical, fundamental disagreement about what is real. Um, And we may even feel this clash a little bit in the church because there are just not many who are really living in touch with this unseen world that's all around us. Really, children mostly are living in touch with it, and we need to be more like children. Um, We will realize that we just fundamentally disagree with most people 
on these questions. What is being awake and what is dreaming? We need to decide once and for all that it's okay to have this dreamlike quality, to have our head in the clouds. We need to know that this is normal and a good thing. It means that we are finally realizing this is not our home and anchoring our hope in an eternal home. We're not actually dreaming. We are seeing. We are seeing the real world that is invisible all around us and putting our hope in it, in our joy in the king of it, because this is far wiser and safer than placing our hope and our joy in ourselves and what we can do and the things of this life that are quickly passing away. And they say dreamer, but really we are the sober ones. And the dreamers are those who live asleep in the world of pleasure, in the loneliness and the despair of sin and self. God would call us up and out, anchoring us to the unseen world, employing us with heavenly tasks and missions, and teaching us just how rock solid the unseen things are. We need to be imaginative if we are to be really his. We have to take God exactly at his word. So I just want to give you a couple examples here of things that are in his word that we just need to take as fact that will make us seem dreamy, but that actually anger us firmly in the unseen world. So he says he has angels. Therefore, we must be aware of his angels and how they watch over us how they celebrate our victory over sin and how in the end when he comes they will it says they will gather us from the four corners of the earth to be with him and he says that when he made propitiation for our sins he went to sit at the right hand of god to intercede for us and it says that we have a high priest in heaven who is not um, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses since he lived on earth but he was fully tempted as we are, but without sin. So um, therefore we must hold fast our confession, anything we struggle with, come to him, to his throne, and um, find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. So in, a, in our minds, there is a throne, there must be a throne where we can at any moment sit down with him as our friend and come to him with our cares and joys and petitions and dreams and so on. There is also the city of God called Zion, and this is where all of God's people are right now. And this is where Abraham and Jacob and David and all of the saints are. And Jesus tells, I think it was the Pharisees this, when they just didn't understand that um all of these saints of old are not dead, but they are alive right now with God in heaven because God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. That's in Mark 12. Jesus says to be on guard, to keep awake. We have a master, one who owns all of this splendor and beauty and has entrusted us with our corners of it. He has given us our specific work to do and enjoy and supplied us with the strength to do it. We know not when our master shall return. Therefore, in the eyes of the world, we must be steady dreamers and workers, always busy with our hands, yet always traveling with our minds away, entering into God's presence in God's world. Now, what does this really look like? There is a great danger in thinking too much. <laughs> I know I write a lot about this on my page, and it's something that I think I will always have to deal with. Um, there's a great danger in um, thinking about these things too philosophically. Naturally, my mind is very philosophical. If you give me a verse that talks about prayer, like Philippians 4, you know, which says um, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything present your request to God in prayer and petition, I will pick apart the idea of prayer. I will overanalyze what it means, like what it means to like, you know, um, how I should pray, just what I should be doing in my mind, 
you know, if I should be still or going on a walk, um, how I should start and end my prayers, you know, if I should be thinking at all and just um, being quiet. I pick apart an idea until to pieces when really, like, if you just say pray, I think we all know what that means. We know what to do. <laughs> um, we need to come to him like a child and just tell him our hearts, share with him our hearts. So I get in this, this state where I'm, I'm trying to understand in my mind something that's not meant to be logically grasped. When God would have us just have a simplicity, just taking him at his word, adopting the word into our experience and then over time we'll discover more and more the logic of what he means so setting our mind on things above doesn't mean going more and more into your mind we aren't meant to be overly introspective digging around too much in our own feelings and moods and memories and visions god gives us memories and visions so that we can do things for him but not primarily so that we can know him. We know him through his word. What goes on in our minds or our imaginations can mislead us if we take them as absolute. William Blake, the famous painter and poet, believed that the imagination was the kingdom of God. We know he was wrong. He actually suffered from a lot of mental illness. God isn't in our mind. He's outside our mind, but he gave us the imagination as a tool to draw closer to him, much like a little boat helps us to leave the small island of ourselves and get out into the gorgeous hidden country beyond. It launches us out to God. But this boat really can't move a single inch from the island where we are out to where God is without something called intellectual humility. And all great theologians who long to have friendship with God and be these trees rooted in this unseen world, come to this place eventually. Thinking and prayer don't really go together. Thinking and traveling to God don't go together. (laughs) Why? Because this mystery is too great. Solomon writes about this mystery in Ecclesiastes. He says, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes in the bones, comes in the womb of a woman with child, sorry, comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And I think of something that I read in Gladys Tiber's book about um, the Country Chronicle. She, I don't know that she's a Christian, but she was studying the maple trees in her yard. And she's a very educated woman. She was a professor. And she goes, you know, these scientists, they have yet to explain to me why my one maple always turns all of its leaves turn before my other maple even though they are probably planted by the same farmer at the same time um you know many many years ago but they just run by different internal or different internal clocks there's this great mystery there's this great unseen hand at at work in everything and it's that mystery that puts a soul into the bones of a little life inside a mom so we have to get ourselves in that that state of awe that i talked about in my last podcast when we go into prayer and when we um, connect with god and i'll never forget i have this um, memory of um, taking this biology course and the professor was an atheist and I guess she was she was a borderline atheist agnostic. Um, but in this philosophy of biology course, we studied Darwin and we studied the the thinking of biology, so the philosophy of biology, um, and how almost everything she believed in science or in the world could be explained on a molecular level. It could be studied. Um, through, you know, under a microscope, basically. But, she said, there was one thing that could not be explained on a molecular level, and that was the moment of realization, like an aha moment. Like when you are describing something to a child and they don't get it, and you can go over and over it, 
Um, and there's, it's just still not clicking. And then there's that moment of enlightenment and they finally understand and they're excited at this new bit of information that they grasp. That is that mystery. God illuminating our hearts and our minds and making him to understand things. Um, so that's intellectual humility, just laying aside all of your own ideas about reality and accepting the word alone as ultimate authority for your thinking. And this is really the only way to stay awake, or if you will, to stay in the dream, as it seems to the world. It takes a lot of intellectual humility to accept these unfathomably beautiful and staggering facts in scripture. We are, as scripture says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this is staggering. This is the only way to stay awake. And we have to let go of our own impressions about who we are and where we stand with God and accept his unfathomable work done on the cross and his unfathomable redemption and inheritance. And then we are truly awake. And there's a weird feeling thinking about these things walking through Walmart. There's just a weird feeling. I get that all the time. <laughs> and yet we can't, we can't be shaken by that. That's good. That means that our minds are truly set on things above. There's nothing more pleasant in the whole world, I find, than living fully awake to the unseen things that God has presented in Scripture, seeing them as they really are, not thinking, oh, well, maybe this is true. Maybe someday I'll understand this. Maybe someday I'll see this and accept it. We need to accept it, and then we will see we need to know our condition as a beloved creature born again through the cross of Christ into a redemption that is undefiled and kept in heaven for us, um, an inheritance kept for us. We need to know as a fact we are being renewed day by day. We are actually growing younger day by day. <laughs> Um, and we need to be sure of his feelings for us. It says that when our heart condemns us, we know that God is greater than our heart. We are clean before him, and this is our joy. Um, all of this is going to just feel very foreign and strange as we go about living in this world. We're not hiding from the world. We go about taking care of our daily duties in the world, rubbing shoulders with our neighbors and people in stores. Um... You know, if we have children that go to school, other mothers and their children, or if we um, homeschool, you know, I think it's great to get together with other families that also are homeschooling. There's always going to be interaction with people who don't see the way we do, and we're going to have to feel this clash um, that we are a bit otherworldly or a bit odd, <laughs> and that's because we really have our hopes set on these unseen things. And we can't live a split life where we're setting them aside when we are in the day and then we retreat back into our sanctuary of prayer other times. Um, we need to be holding to these things constantly, always maintaining our footing in the other world. All right, now I've got a nursing <laughs> little baby. Well, he's not that little anymore, but he is still nursing away, so... Hopefully that's all right. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So we must um, live just deriving our nourishment from the invisible world. And honestly, that is where freedom comes from. And I, I am someone who has always struggled with anxiety because I have a very, very active mind that can imagine lots of things very easily what you know I can imagine 10 different courses of action that could take place within the next hour and especially if I'm trying to accomplish something very artistically challenging 
or just set about an ideal. Like, say even I'm supposed to have, like, my brother-in-law for dinner, and I have this um, fancy soup planned and, you know, fresh-baked molasses pumpkin bread and ice cream that I need to get going in the um, our little homemade ice cream maker. And the boys are outside, and there's a little... Uh, dirt pit where they get to dig with their shovels and they always fight over their shovels even though they both have one. I very easily fall into the state of picturing how I can arrange the next set of you know 30 minutes to an hour to make it physically possible to set up the evening to make it go to make it fit the living painting I have in my picture. You know getting the hymns on <laughs> keeping the boys playing without fighting, um, getting everything cooked in the right order so that it's hot. You know, these are the earthly things, and they're important. But I find I can't, I can't function that way. I have to, in every moment, be setting my heart on the things I can't see. I have to be seeing the things I can't see. I have to be knowing that God is right with me in this room. He knows all about the very foods that I'm preparing. He knows all about what needs to happen. I know what I hope to happen, but he knows what needs to happen. And um, he's in charge. He's, you know, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and he will make your path straight. You know, we make our plans, but then God directs our steps. So this this anchoring yourself onto the uns- into the unseen, that is really where this release happens. Like you're living in wind almost. Instead of this hypertension, how can I organize and control and orchestrate, make my life this harmonious, perfect orchestra? God, he wants us not to create a perfect orchestra, but to have a perfect heart like David. And the perfect heart, it really happens when you're like, okay, the only thing I'm going to count on and really set myself on, set my heart on, are these unseen realities. And it really feels, you feel like a fairy. You feel very, very otherworldly. And that's good. That means you're in faith. That means you're a Christian. And it's unusual. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to try to wrap up here. I'll probably just keep reading what I've got because I kind of went off what I had there. Um <clears throat> Just to wrap up, and I need to head down and say hi to Jamesy. He's with Daddy now. Um, In Hebrews, we learn all about this hanging on to or leaning on the unseen. Um, The unseen world is where all of the heroes of faith got their strength and their joy and their blessing and their ability to do what God had for them to do. So, do you wish... My friends, do you wish to do great things for God? Then we must hang on to the unseen, even though it makes us look dreamy. This was the strength of Moses. This is how he had to this is how he had the courage to leave the palace of Egypt where he was born and raised and go into the wilderness to live with God's people. He saw the invisible. He didn't just think about the invisible. He didn't just study it logically analyze it in his head like sometimes we do (laughs) we pretend to just we live this scholarly abstract christian life he really really lived he took steps by faith in the invisible by faith it says he left egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible that's hebrews 11 27 and then after all that time Um, alone in the wilderness discerning God's will God made him a spokesperson the spokesperson of redemption for all of Israel started the journey um, to the promised land through Moses and Moses couldn't see any of that he couldn't see God's plan but he could see God so (laughs) that's what we need to do we need to be willing to not see God's plan but to just see God and the things that he's promised, and the things that are real, like the throne, as I talked about. So, my friends, today, do you do you bear that strange and um, wearying burden of feeling that you're just dreaming sometimes? 
Do you fear waking up and finding out you were wrong? Do you feel at times it's all in your head? It's not. What you are fearing is, it's the silliness of fearing the fading of just an immortal, imperishable flower. It can't fade. What you're bearing is the burden of an irrational fear. The fear of losing the only lasting light in you. The only lasting light in you suddenly going out. It cannot. It can only grow dimmer or stronger. But it will never go away. God will never leave you. His light is firm in you. He has set eternity in our hearts. God's invisible world is real. And he means for us to live in it. His world is more real than our world. He means for us to live awake. He longs for us to live seeing the unseen. Ask God today for the ability to see what is invisible. As clearly as you are going to see the snowy landscapes outside your window this winter, or as you see the big ruddy apples hanging on the scraggly apple tree branches today. As clearly as you see the tiny fingers of your toddler picking up stray bits of cereal, on his high chair tray and offering it to you with a smile. His world can be and will be that real if you will consent. Ask him to give you a crystalline view of the things promised and that's in Hebrews 11. You need to be able to live seeing the invisible city, greeting it in your heart from afar, not conjuring up a last minute mental image when you're in trial, but all the time, every moment, seeing the invisible God by faith. I know many of us are eager for a cultural revolution. We are ready for revival that extends into our lifestyle. I agree that it's so exciting to think about returning to more of a folk lifestyle, overturning many of the harmful habits that modernity has led us to adopt in the past hundred years. The romance of a return to an old-fashioned life entices me immensely. Daddy, you are very loud. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But what is a revival such an overturning of habits and values and perspectives anchored on? Where does it derive its fuel? Certainly, it can't be from our love and thirst for beauty alone. It can't be from curiosity, wondering what old-time farm was like when we were dependent on land and animals for manual labor. Certainly, it can't be from envy, yearning to possess the beauty and the joy we think we see others have as they live a slow, romantic, family-centered life. Sourdough loaves with artisan designs and paper snowflakes on the windows and saving old homes from ruin and choosing to live simply, not having any kind of debt. All of this is so exciting. Working from home, taking people into our homes instead of always doing things outside the home, going outside the home for our activities. All of these things please Christ, but they are revival things, but they aren't the real revival These are like the mist coming off a greater waterfall of revival. They are just droplets off the main spray. The true waterfall, the true revival we need that has to happen in you and me, that is seeing again. It's being sober-minded. It's looking and living heavenward like our ancestors did. It's enduring, seeing him who is invisible. It's daring to see, daring to be dreamers in the eyes of the world. And then once we start seeing the unseen world, it's living artistically. It's portraying the rare beauty of holiness that we have found. Um, To draw in a lost and hungry and overburdened by too much information and too complex world. There has to be art and there will be art, but not first. If we aren't brave enough to stay awake and be intellectually humble and face the great mystery of the gospel and of friendship with God and feel like pilgrims and wanderers on the earth. If we go about making all of these lifestyle changes for their own sake, we will become burdened because merely a beautiful life is not what we were made for. We were not made for outward perfection, 
but for renewal of the heart, perfecting of the heart. We were made for purity. We were made to have a perfect heart just like David did. And this is what God is after. You can't have a perfect home, perfect routines, perfect meals, perfect sewing projects and craftsmanship, perfect Instagrams, and have a perfect heart. One has to come first. For a real lasting revival to take shape, we must become travelers. We must explore the invisible world like a city. If you think of Europe with its ancient cathedrals and its stone castles with mossy vines and ancient sandstone and battlements, or you think of the Appalachian Mountains with its ridges and peaks and misty valleys and sheep and cows by the little creeks and in the dells, that that is somewhat close to what we need to be picturing um, when we think of the city of God, Mount Zion, the city of God. It is even more real and more enchanting than the most enchanting places on earth. We need to be seeing his city as a real spiritual house, a real spiritual place where we belong, where we live. We need stronger imaginations. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Don't focus on your earthly city, on your small world building yet. Dream of this higher world. Wake up to this eternal world. Push out of self into this. Die to self and live to Christ. But then do more. Do the harder thing, the harder next step that so many Christians never do. Keep your eyes open. Stay awake. Don't get distracted. Cultivate a holy and rich and furnished imagination, seeing the unseen. Dig into scripture to find images to furnish that living painting you have in your heart of the city of God. And if you think of buying a house, you know, that moment when you step in the door and you see those bare wood floors and the floor molding and the crown molding on the ceiling and the doorknobs and the quaint closets and pantry and your imagination is just excited. You, you know, you can't wait to go to antique stores or hunt for, you know, estate sales to find quilts and, um, you know, old cabinets and hoosier cabinets to, to put in your home. It's the same thing. When we become a Christian, we need to be hunting in the scriptures to furnish our imagination with living pictures and furniture to decorate this world that we are going to be living in as we walk and put our faith in the unseen world. So the cultural revival back to beautiful, simple, humble, highly artistic living cannot happen until we become a people who are focused on heaven again, training our children for heaven and being prepared to live with God in heaven. It's impossible for a people seeing with the eyes of faith a tender, storytelling, creative, gentle God to not live gentle, rooted, powerful, romantic, sober, free, you know, free from temptations, and we always will have some temptations, but not overcome with temptations, life. First, we see. First, we shut up the darkness forever. First, we are transferred into the kingdom of life. We're taken out of the world and then we go back in. We are not afraid to look like dreamers. If they call us dreamers, we just say, dream on. We are like oak leaves. We let the light fully in and we see. So before I leave you, I'm going to read a little poem by C.S. Lewis and um, a quote by Louisa May Alcott. There is often this weight we feel, especially as Americans. You know, I'm sure many of you read Great Gatsby in high school. 
there's this pressure to conjure up the American dream, to dream up our future, to paint a full picture or map of what we want our days to look like, what we want our rhythms to look like, what direction we want to take in our personal creative life or a career if we have one, where we're going to live. Um, For us, it's we're always dreaming about the long term and what our forever property will be like. But I think we have to get to a spot where we are willing to let God dream for us. And I do believe that this is what starts to happen in prayer. This is why prayer is so magical and so important. God slowly starts to show us through friendship with him his dream for us and then we aren't dreaming our dream we realize we are his dream and we are dreaming his dream for us and then we become co-creators louisa may alcott said we all have our own life to pursue our own kind of dream to be weaving and we all have the power to make wishes come true as long as we keep believing I love that quote, and I know she was trying to set women free, to release that bird in the cage, you know, like in Jane Eyre. That is a beautiful thing to think about, the the power we have to bring our dreams into reality through the virtues of diligence and hard work. Um, It's my dream to take my sewing ministry much further. I would love to make little picnic quilts and um, gingham pants for boys, little boys, and homespun pillows, all kinds of precious things for the home. I would love to be able to infuse all of our lives with coziness and charm through fabric and handmade goods, but that dream is within a much larger dream that I have carried in my heart ever since I was a little girl. And I do believe that Louisa believed in this bigger dream too. And that is living a life that is in tune with his spirit. I long to be called a friend of God like Noah was. And I think that learning God's dream for us and finding the strength as Alcott was picturing to bring those dreams into life, that comes through prayer. And this is perfectly exemplified by this poem by C.S. Lewis. It's so funny. I read it and I was like, that has changed my life. And then I was like, who wrote it? Because I had just flipped through my poetry anthology and I hadn't seen what author section I was in. And then it said C.S. Lewis. And I was like, oh, of course. (laughs) That's why I love it. But he starts out by saying that skeptics view prayer as just dreaming. And then he explains why it's not. He says, They tell me, Lord, that when I seem to be in speech with you, since but one voice is heard, it's all a dream. One talker, a ping too. Sometimes it is, yet not as they conceive it. Rather I seek in myself the things I hope to say, but lo, my springs are dry. Then, seeing me empty, you forsake the listener's role, and through my dumb lips breathe into utterance wake the thoughts i never knew and thus you neither need reply nor can thus while we seem two talkers thou art one forever and i no dreamer but thy dream we are his dream doesn't that take the pressure off of dreaming doesn't it take the weight off isn't that what paul was referring to when he told us of the peace that surpasses all understanding when we present our requests to God in prayer. God knows exactly where our forever home on earth is going to be. He knows how we will fulfill the purpose for which he made us. He knows exactly who our children are going to grow up into. And he wants us to come be empty before him. Not two, but one empty and then letting him speak to our hearts with that quiet voice filling our minds with knowledge of just the next step and a little nudge 
a little small window view of the great painting of our life, of the big dreams that he has for us. And this will look otherworldly because we will have been alone with God. We will know in our hearts that we are not the one who's in charge, but vessels being purified and renewed day by day to live out his unbelievable dream for you. That is very exciting and very fairy fairy tale like. So reality is fairy tale like. It is hard to grasp. But this is what he would have his people do to live in this mystery and rejoice in this mystery. So I hope this encourages you today and matches all of the mystery and awe of these maple and oak leaves and these falling nuts and (laughs) black walnuts Um, and the adventures I know we're all taking with our little ones out into the woods and fields and collecting things and enjoying all of the color. I hope it encourages us to realize that we are God's dream and that he is, he's actively, um, organizing our next steps. So I know this was very deep and, um, it was a lot and I hope to share more stories, but I am a deep person and ultimately I just want to be faithful to what God puts on my heart. And I know that this is definitely a struggle for a lot of us. We feel, um, especially when you're artistic and you're an introvert and you're following Christ in the modern world, it can feel very, very isolating. So I wanted to encourage you that though we look strange and we look like we're just dreaming, dreaming it all up, we're actually, we're coming more and more awake to God's reality and Um, He is going to take us deeper and deeper into his city. So let's be excited to travel there and um, find more strength there to then make our beautiful cities here on earth. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and get some time outside on the trails, crunching the leaves under your feet. I bet some of you like to hike barefoot like me. I love feeling the dirt in the leaves, especially this time of year. I am sending you all my hugs, and I can't wait to see what God has me share next. All right, take care. Bye for now.